Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com. Excited to be joined by Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com the Alabama, the preeminent Alabama site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And Travis, uh, there is all kinds of excitement and anticipation around this week's game. The number one Crimson Tide are coming uh, to Austin, Texas for a, a game with the Texas Longhorns, ready or not for the Texas Longhorns. Um, but we've got a lot to get into with you because Texas, of course, uh, a year ago, committed to the SEC, and it looks like that will happen probably in 2024 when ESPN starts their uh, broadcast rights to SEC football. But uh, welcome in. I know you're recovering from Alabama, Utah State. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. No 24-hour rule this week. Right? We talked about before the pod. I think people are so fired up about this matchup. First time in, what, 100 years that Alabama yeah. will have made the trip to Austin? It was 1922 I'm looking at right here. So, yeah, even by my limited math skills, that tells me, Chip, this is once in a couple of three lifetimes. Yeah, I mean, if you go all the way back to Tommy Nobis and, and Joe Namath. Um, Orange Bowl. The yeah. Orange Bowl, there's some great history between these two schools. Um, heck, Texas tried to hire Nick Saban, or at least a group of boosters wanted to talk to Nick Saban about hiring him after Mac Brown in 2013. Um, of course, Mac was, and I think still is, haunted by that uh, that 2009 season national championship win by Alabama, the game in which Colt McCoy gets knocked out of the game um, early on uh, by Marcel Darius and. Uh, that's Nick Saban's first national championship at Alabama starts a new uh, legacy tradition uh, dynasty uh, for Saban at Alabama. And, and so let's, let's start there, Travis, we'll get into the, the, the players and the storylines, but what was your reaction when you heard that Texas and Oklahoma uh, were headed to the SEC? I was excited. You know, I mean, you're talking about two of the preeminent brands in college football and it kind of continues that SEC footprint out into Texas, of course, with A&M already in the league and makes a little more sense out of Missouri being in the SEC, I guess, with Oklahoma coming on board as well. But no, just brand recognition makes a lot of sense. A lot of television sets out that way, too, from a TV perspective, you build on what you started uh, the last time you expanded in 2012. But I like it from an all-sports perspective, too, Chip. I mean, with baseball, softball is just an emerging sport on the college level. You look at television ratings for the Women's College World Series these days. They continue to just blow up. So basketball, really like that with Chris Beard there now at Texas. And we've seen Alabama and Oklahoma hook up a couple times uh, on the basketball court as well. I just, I, I love it from every perspective. And then before you even get into the passion of the, the respective fan bases, 
you, you know you're getting two of the very best with those teams. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. It and it sure sounds like it's going to be. Uh, you're going to play three teams annually, and then you'll rotate the other six. Is that what you're three, hearing? Six. That sounds most likely because you still want to you want to maintain rivalries, not just for your existing membership, but you're not bringing Texas in not to play a And M. I'm sorry, you're, you're not doing that. You're not Thank bringing you. Oklahoma in and saying, okay, well, OU Texas aren't going to play anymore. Now that could be tough from the Texas perspective if that is in fact the plan that you go in knowing that you're not only going to continue with OU, but now you're going to perhaps pick back up with A&M. So uh, very competitive, but I, I think even for Alabama, a team like Alabama, the plan is to maintain with Tennessee and Auburn. And right now those two programs, not exactly top 10 programs. Tennessee's making some nice strides under Josh Heupel, uh, but I'll be interested to see what the third opponent is um, for some of these teams like Texas, but then Alabama, is it LSU that they maintain? Because that's been such a, highly anticipated game on an annual basis, especially since Saban's been in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, you bring up Auburn, and it seems like Auburn is losing its mind uh, over Nick Saban. I mean, I always say Texas don't become Auburn with all these coaching changes. And um, But then I think back to Terry Bowden, who Texas played last night, um, you know, when they faced ULM and Terry Bowden left there in a weird uh, circumstance after, you know, five great seasons. And then he leaves is Auburn just like beside itself because they can't figure out a way to make a dent in the uh, Nick Saban led Crimson Tide or is, is Auburn always been this way? Uh, it's sort of been this way for as long as I can remember. And, um, you know, you're right. Uh, Pat Dye had a hell of a run there, really established Auburn as a legitimate contender, both conference wise and then even on the national front under Pat Dye. But there's certainly been, I guess you could say, um, not controversy always or consistently, but turmoil, it seems like on a consistent basis in terms of this tug of war, uh, both at the administrative level and then from a, a supporter's side of things uh, you know you talk about Auburn and the struggles but since Nick Saban's been in Tuscaloosa Auburn's won a national championship 2010 yeah. with Cam Newton played for another one really probably should have won that one in 2013 against Florida State had a bit of a meltdown there in the second half so um, there's been some good things you look at Auburn in terms of teams that see Alabama on a consistent basis I think Auburn's got three wins against Nick Saban you know, during his time in Tuscaloosa, that's better than a lot of teams in the SEC, but they just seem to struggle. And I'm not there on a daily basis, but just on the peripheral here, it just seems like there's this constant tug of war and just getting everybody onto the same page has been a, a struggle for them. And, you know, that's one thing about Nick Saban. It, it's his page. You're, it's not going to be everybody coming together to get on common ground. It's Nick Saban's page and you're going to get on it or you're going to get off. And that's just the way it's going to work. Yeah. I, I, I heard a story that Mal Moore was the, the athletic director when Nick took over and he said, Hey, tell the boosters they can't, they can't come to practice, but they'll like what they're going to see on Saturdays. Um, I mean, Nick runs the show. In fact, uh, we'll segue into Nick Saban because no one has adapted better uh, to college football, all the changes than Nick Saban. When you look at the fact that he, you know, he was concerned years ago about the spread offense, the up-tempo offenses saying it may not even be safe for the players. Now uh, his offenses go up and down the field and, and score. Um, and he's totally changed from that pro style, you know, grind them up mentality and, and Travis, it's been one offensive coordinator after another, and he seems to hire them as analysts and have them ready to take over when his next coordinator gets hired as a head coach. Yeah, it's almost like a farm system in baseball uh, where he stashes these guys as support staffers like Steve Sarkeesian. And, um, 
you know, they do. They they evolve into on the field coordinators, position coaches. Billy Napier was one of those kind of guys years ago. Now, you know, we see him getting a top ten win over Utah in his debut for Florida last night. So um, it is a breeding ground. There's no doubt about it. End of the day, he refers to it though as the Alabama offense. So regardless of who you are, Sark, Lane, uh, Loxley, I mean Brian Dable's head coach of the New York Giants now, you know, was in Tuscaloosa in 2017. It's the Alabama offense. He does like guys to come in and maybe put their their fingerprint on it, their thumbprint a little bit on it and an impression on it that they can build upon. But absolutely, when it comes to adaptability, really on every front of running a college football program, you know, that's where we haven't seen him take a step back. What we've seen is him say, okay, this is the way we're going to play football. And you've heard him ask it you know, sort of rhetorically of college football. Is this what we want the game to be? And then when he gets his answer, (laughs) he does what he needs to do and ends up making it his own. So people ask me, when do you think you'll notice maybe some some regression for Alabama under Nick Saban? I, I think that's probably where you would see it first, where he just gets to the point where it's he's kind of tired of constantly having to adapt and make changes uh, but we haven't seen any sign of that yet, including an NIL, uh, which is certainly a, a big topic in college athletics these days. Yeah, um, we'll get to that in just a second. But when it when it comes to the Alabama offense, does he require that the terminology stay the same so that whoever comes in, they have to learn the terminology that's that's there so the players aren't constantly having to to relearn a new offense? Yeah, I think that's it, Chip, as much as is possible anyway. And again, there's going to be some expansion um, to that Alabama offense, depending on the the coordinator. Uh, but I think that's how they're able to so, sort of, and talent obviously helps, but seamlessly transition from not only coordinator to coordinator, but quarterback to quarterback and sort of maintain this high level of success. And yeah, I do. I think it starts with continuity at, at the base level. Whereas the pieces change, but the system really doesn't. When um, now back to the NIL piece this summer, when Nick Saban said that AM bought uh, the best recruiting class in uh, in the country, did that surprise you? Um, what what stood out to you most about that uh, that those comments, and then the the exchange with Jimbo Fisher? Yeah, the comments didn't really surprise me because I think Nick thought he was speaking to a closed group, first and foremost. I don't think he thought it was a true media-involved type session. Um, it was an event. You know, it wasn't a, a press conference or a, a, a formal media availability. So from that perspective, I can see uh, Nick in that in that mode. Um you know, it, it, it turned into a firestorm very quickly, as we know. Uh, Jimbo said he didn't want to talk about it, so he held a press conference so he could absolutely talk about it. So that was entertaining on that front. But, you know, it's a couple of guys from Appalachia. You know, you get them fired up. You better watch out. Fireworks are going to ensue. And uh, about as quick as it flared up, I think Greg Sankey probably made a phone call or two. Uh, certainly got into contact with the two parties and said, guys, we're not going to do this. And then you had the SEC spring meetings that came up. I'm sure it was maybe addressed at that point. And uh, you sort of get the five families together and, you know, sort of call a truce on that thing. And now, as you might expect, everybody's fine now. No big deal. Well, let's take a quick break here on the flagship podcast with Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com talking Texas, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Travis, let's get into this year's Alabama team. When you hear people say this might be uh, the best Alabama team Nick Saban has had in his time in Tuscaloosa, uh, is that just, is that hyperbole? Uh, you tell us how good this uh, Alabama team can be. I think it can be. I think you have to prove it. You know, there's been a couple of teams. 2009, when you would just want to talk about a decorated team with a Heisman Trophy winner, with a Buckus Award winner, with an undefeated team, um, national champs, you dethroned Florida in very memorable fashion. You ended Tim Tebow's college career, essentially, in Atlanta. That one's hard to surpass for me, but just in terms of the pieces, Chip, yeah, it's it's easy to sort of connect those dots because you bring back the reigning Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. You bring back the top defensive player in all likelihood, I would think, in college football and Will Anderson, but it's all those pieces in the middle that I think you still have to sort of figure out. There is plenty of star power for this Alabama team, especially when you look, again, at the preeminent positions in college football these days. Um, but even last night against Utah State, you saw some areas where they still have improvement, and they certainly still have ongoing competitions at corner. Uh, I think that's going to be a big thing we talk about throughout the upcoming week with the pieces that Texas has. Um, Alabama still rotating three corners on one side and playing Kool-Aid McKinstry mostly on the other. Um, and then you know that offensive line is still a work in progress. Thought we saw some encouraging signs from that group, but they went to the transfer portal for a left tackle, and it looks like they hit on that one with Tyler Steen coming in from Vanderbilt. And uh, they've got some some new wide receivers, you know, Jamison Williams, Sean Mechie off to the NFL. But, you know, we saw some young guys. Kobe Prentice, a true freshman last night, was impressive to go along with Jermaine Burton, the Georgia transfer, and a couple of other guys. Treshawn Holden is really emerging at that position. So they, they have that potential. One weekend, I'm – not quite ready to go there just yet. Yeah. Um, by the way, Kool-Aid McKinstry, that's got to be the best college football name of the year. It's up there. You know, I like Cavassier Smoke, too. He's a running back at Kentucky. That, you know, it's a pretty good one. But Kool-Aid is, uh, uh, that's, as you might expect, he's, he's got an NIL deal with, with the actual Kool-Aid. So uh, pretty smart branding there. Smart branding there. Um, yeah, I think Texas fans look at Alabama's roster and say, oh, my gosh, the, the Brockermeyer uh, twins are not even in the in the two deep. Um, and Texas is starting two true freshman offensive linemen. And uh, and so you've you've got uh, just talent for for days there in Tuscaloosa. Tommy and James Brockermeyer, what uh, what's What's the the story there? Is the talent just so heavy uh, that they're going to have to wait their turn? You know, Tommy, I think he had some health issues even going back to high school. And that's been a continuing thing for him and even James to an extent. So I think for both those guys, they came in as developmental prospects. I know Tommy was a five-star according to the 24-7 Sports Composite. But physically, he obviously had some ground to cover. Um, James is similar. Uh, technically, you could watch those guys at the high school level and see that given their bloodlines, given their DNA, they were about what you would expect. They were advanced in that regard. Uh, but I just think staying on the field, staying in the in the practice plan on a daily basis, in the off-season program, that's where both those guys still have a little bit of ground to cover. And look, offensive tackle is an area where Alabama has some depth concerns. So if Tommy can get there sooner rather than later, you know, he's still got an opportunity, but with the transfer portal and we know the access that Texas has used it on its front, Alabama is very much the same. If, if Nick Saban isn't sure about his left tackle, you know, coming out of a spring practice or even going into a spring practice, there's a good chance you're going to see a guy come in. And that's been Tyler Steen this time around. Well, you you know, you hit on some of the, the key names on, on offense outside of Bryce Young, 
you know, Trey Sanders was a highly uh, touted recruit who's not really the guy at Alabama. Um, it's it's Jameer Gibbs, the Georgia Tech transfer. Uh, tell us about Alabama's running back situation. Yeah, you know, it was sort of feast or famine against Utah State on Saturday night. Now, Utah State the previous week against UConn got absolutely gashed, and a lot of that was UConn went with condensed formations, bigger personnel, and just really emphasized getting downhill between the tackles. Well, Utah State wasn't going to let that happen for a second straight week. So most of the money that Alabama made in the run game in the opener was uh, more on the perimeter, outside zone, kind of edge-oriented um, that's where you saw Gibbs flash that that big time speed on his long run of 50 plus yards in the game. So, you know, it's a work in progress, but it's not because they lack talent at the running back position. Jace McClellan is a Texan, as you know. Uh, he's right now the number two guy behind Gibbs. We actually saw those two in the backfield together. And I think we'll continue to see some two back stuff from Bill O'Brien, even against Texas this week. Um, you know, McClellan's coming off an ACL. So is Roy Dell Williams, the third back. They both suffered knee injuries last fall, but to watch them Saturday night, they look like they are pretty much fully recovered from those setbacks. And then you get to Trey Sanders, who his first two years in the program had significant injuries, including in his first fall camp uh, a couple of three years ago. Then he's in a car accident a couple of years ago. And then last year he was able to sustain and, and remain available throughout the season and recover and I think he's just now getting to where he needs to be in his fourth year from a, a physical standpoint. Jamarian Miller, uh, familiarity there, I know, with Texas. Um, he saw action as a true freshman in the game Saturday night, and he looks good, too. He had a run of about 23 yards in the opener. So they've got five guys they feel good about. The depth there is good enough that Emmanuel Henderson, who some people rate as the number one running back, class, running back recruit for the 2022 cycle, they're actually playing him at wide receiver right now. So uh, talent isn't an issue. Um, they're just continuing to find out more and more about some guys that are, as much as anything, coming off of injuries. Well, let's let's go to receiver. Um, you know, gone are Jameson Williams and John Mechie. And as you mentioned, Jermaine Burton helps Georgia win a national championship and then transfers to Alabama. How about that? Yeah, 26 catches on a national championship team, and you're their wide receiver one. Georgia is awesome with their tight end stuff, man. You saw it again on Saturday afternoon against Oregon. They can go with that 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field, Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, and just devastate 95% of the teams they play, and they did that. So it, for Georgia, it's more about between the hash marks, right? At Alabama, it's become more about outside the hash marks. And you know, if you're Jermaine Burton and you're thinking about your career beyond college and you're seeing Jamison Williams and John Mechie have 75-plus catch seasons and you caught 26 a year ago and you got Bryce Young back at quarterback, uh, it it made some sense, I'd say, for, for Jermaine to make that jump. And, you know, I think Burton is more along the lines of a Mechie than he is a Jamison Williams a lot of that has to do with speed. Not that Jermaine Burton is slow by any means, but Jamison was, you know, first round speed. And so you know, they're still trying to identify, I think, more of that vertical guy. They brought in Tyler Harrell from Louisville as a transfer, and he has that kind of speed. He's been slowed by some injuries here in the preseason and heading into the season. So we'll see if they continue to ramp him up. But, um, you know, they're solid at wide receiver right now. But I think their best rotation is probably still a month away because Jojo Earl's out. You know, he might be the starter in the slot right now and certainly punt return. So I don't think they're as good at wide receiver, certainly not as dynamic maybe at wide receiver as they might be come mid-October. And Cameron Latou at, at tight end uh, really emerged last year, probably a big reason why Jaleel Billingsley uh, headed to Texas because he got – passed over and they're not really the same player Cameron Latou can handle the blocking aspect and catch the football but talk about that tight end position and and uh how much they'll rely on that yeah Latou's been slowed by injury himself in the preseason so uh they've begun to get him back into things this past week 
Uh, he went through pregame warmups, according to our Charlie Potter, uh, last night before Utah State, but didn't play in the game. So he'll be a guy to watch early in the week. Feels like they targeted Texas as a return date for Cam Latou, and they need him because with Jalil moving on to Texas, um, there's a lot of newness at that position. And Kendall Randolph was a guy they played at tight end a ton the last two seasons, and he's starting at offensive guard now. So they don't have that sort of security blanket in Kendall, at least they didn't going into last night's game. So you got Robbie Utes at the position, a second-year player, more of an off-the-ball guy, H-back, fullback type, but they'll pair him with Cam Latou in those two tight end sets. And then they went junior college late in the 2022 cycle for Miles Kinselman, who we saw in the game Saturday night. And then they've got three freshmen. Uh, we saw Danny Lewis. We saw Amari Nyblack. Uh, but certainly it still starts with Cam Latou, and I know they'd love to have him back this week. Well, before we move on to the defense, uh, Bryce Young runs for 100 yards in the in the blowout victory over Utah State. Um, how significant or insignificant is that? We know he's he's quick. He's an unbelievable thrower of the football, but um, his legs came into play. Yeah, he was pretty decisive. Not that he ran at a ton, just five carries, and he was sacked once, so that was part of that. But um, when he had the opportunity against Utah State, he, he wasn't very hesitant. There's a lot of Alabama fans a year ago that were just beside themselves because there were opportunities – where Bryce could have tucked the football and perhaps hit the kind of big plays that we saw him connect on with his legs in this opener. But, you know, there's two ways to that. You know, this guy is such a good passer. You don't want him giving up on receivers. And a lot of times when he extends plays, that's when some of his guys are able to get separation the most when things break down. And, you know, there's that sort of coordination when it comes to improving. And that's where John Mechie was so good with uh, Bryce. They had that connection. I think Burton has some of that. I think Treshawn Holden has some of that too. So uh, he's so effective in that mode, but he did show you uh, with the 63 yard run against Utah state that if you're going to play man coverage, especially against Alabama and they run off your DBs, um, he can hit the big play with his legs. And it did look a little bit like Jalen Hurts, I guess, against Utah State. 100 yards rushing, first time since Jalen five years ago that that's happened with an Alabama quarterback. If there's a question about the Alabama offense um, heading into Saturday's game against Texas, what would it be? I think it's still going to be on the outside for Alabama defensively at those cornerback spots when you've got receivers like Xavier Worthy and – uh, certainly it's not just Xavier you have to concern yourself with. I know the tight end position was especially effective uh, for Texas against ULM. I haven't really had a chance to watch that game, but just kind of perusing a little bit. Um, you know, it, Worthy's where it starts, and I, I think that with yours and that offense, they're going to look to attack the outside. First play of the game Saturday night, Utah State gets man coverage on the outside against Terry and Arnold, one of those – corners who got the start opposite McKinstry in the game and you know took a shot down the right sideline and hit it for 23 yards so I'll be surprised if Sark doesn't look out there first and foremost because there is a lot of experience a lot of ability right in the middle of the field with Henry Toa Jalen Moody those safeties Jordan Battle DeMarco Helms uh, but Alabama will play man coverage with those corners and we saw even in the national championship loss to Georgia that's where Georgia ultimately got over the hump in that game. And I think that's where Texas will will continue to look first and foremost in this one. When you, you know, you talk about Alabama's defense, you start with Will Anderson and Dallas Turner. Um, you know, just talk about what makes Will Anderson so special. I'm a Heisman trophy voter, and I, you know, had uh Will Anderson on my ballot last year and mm -hmm. thought he had a better year than Aiden Hutchinson. Mm -hmm. um, what uh, what stands out about Will Anderson? You know, everyone will talk about his first step and yeah, it's and all those things are great. His physical attributes, but man, when you play with the motor that this guy plays with, on top of all those things, this is what you get. And 
doesn't give up on plays, doesn't take plays off, uh, and then has continued to advance in terms of his repertoire as a pass rusher. But he's just as good on first down. You know, this is a guy that's 240 pounds maybe, and they have no problem putting him in a four-point stance, head-up offensive tackles on early downs. Even though he's giving away 60, 65 pounds, they feel like uh, with his initial punch and his strength and his hands, uh, he can hang in even from that aspect. So uh, it's not just pass rush with Will Anderson. If you try to run away from him, he'll go make a play away from him. Um, and that's where I think you have to have a quarterback that can at least threaten the defense with his legs. If you're just going to think you're going to line up with a running back, even B. John Robinson and the depth that Texas has at running back, and and not at least occasionally threaten those guys with the quarterback run, um, it, it makes it hard against him. But I, I, the thing about Will, as much as anything, I just the the uh, the juice, the motor, whatever adjective you choose to use uh, that he puts forth on a down by down basis. Yeah, relentless. Mm-hmm. What about Dallas Turner? Because he he looked like he's so wiry in last year and. You know, you just you think, how can he make all these plays? But he makes them. He does, and I, I think versatility more with Dallas. I, I, whereas you can use Will, I think in some ways that you typically can't with a two hundred and forty pound edge defender. I think Dallas is a guy that you can use when you drop him into coverage. Uh, he's instinctive that way. You know, Drew Sanders is a he's an SEC caliber starter. He's doing it at Arkansas now. But when Dallas emerged down the stretch of the 2021 season, due in large part because Drew had a hand injury that sent him to the sideline, um, he just wasn't going to be moved out of that spot opposite uh, Will. And I, I think regardless of down and distance, you're going to see both those guys on the field together uh, this week. Um, you know, I thought against Utah State, they played it pretty vanilla. Uh, they've got some pass rush packages that I know they didn't show in the opener where they're going to put three edge guys on the field together. I think you'll see that this week probably, but Dallas more so is today's linebacker in that you could play him inside. I think if you wanted to, and then on passing downs, you could kick him outside, but they're deep enough at inside linebacker that he pretty much focuses on that strong side position. And um, with the expectation being that will will move on after this season uh, then you expect it to be largely about Dallas out there in 2023. Well, you mentioned uh, that that Alabama defense being so strong right up the middle and the man in the middle, number 10, Henry Toa Toa uh, at middle linebacker. Uh, just talk about what he brings to the table. He brings consistency, and I think he brings a sense of security in that he is that traffic cop type guy in the middle of the field. There's a comfort in knowing that he can make the calls, he can make the checks. I think he would actually be better suited off the ball at the weak side position, but again, for what they need in terms of a signal caller and a guy that can sort of quarterback things, that's what he gives them. And uh, He's just a a solid veteran player, and he's an every-down Mike. He's going to be out there in all three packages, whether it's base, nickel, dime, and then you know, with Jalen Moody next to him, you got another veteran, just a guy who hadn't started much in his Alabama career because you've had Christian Harris there for the last few years. But, you know, Jalen's got his opportunity now. They really like Deontay Lawson, a second-year player that might be the future at Mike Linebacker in 2023 and beyond. So um, they've got three they feel really good about it inside linebacker. They're still, I think, in identification mode when it comes to a fourth guy. Um, but those top three, they, I think they feel like are, are, are interchangeable. You know, Nick's had some adventures with the kicking game and, and, <laughs> and kickers. Um, how, how are the Crimson Tide looking on special teams? Well, Will Riker's been really solid. He's been a revelation for the fan base because it has just been a sense of dread in a lot of years when Alabama runs the field goal unit out there. Uh, but Will Reichert's been great. In 2020, he didn't miss a kick. Last year, I think he was 21 or, yeah, 21 to 26 maybe on field goals. And, you know, fans were like, well, what's wrong with him? He missed five field goals. But 
Uh, he made two on Saturday night, his only two attempts, 45 and 33 against Utah State. Um, just consistent, had an injury a couple of years ago uh, as a freshman. Uh, he's overcome that, looks to have gotten stronger and stronger since. And, you know, I think punting is an area where they haven't been up to to snuff. Now, it hasn't mattered because they've been so prolific offensively, you hardly notice. But, you know, they had that four-year run with J.K. Scott where – there just wasn't a better punter in all of college football. But since J.K. left uh, after the 2017 season, it's been a little bit of a dearth there. And they brought in an Aussie like everybody else. James Burnup is in his second year on the job, but had a 51-yard punt last night, also had a punt blocked. And I see where Texas blocked a punt against ULM. So uh, something to keep an eye on for this week. And I see where it was Keelan Robinson. Keelan Robinson. scored. Right. Uh, with the Alabama ties there. Good for Keelan, man. I was yeah. always a big Keelan fan. Um, you know, I love that despite the fact he was, he was undersized, um, the, the, his freshman season early in the season, Alabama did not have a back that ran harder than Keelan Robinson. And that's including Najee Harris. And then Najee sort of took over and the rest was history. But yeah, I, I keep an eye on the punt game for Alabama. They had a breakdown in protection against Utah State. I, I'm guessing Nick Saban might might talk about that a little bit this week. Well, you know Jeff Banks well, Travis, mm-hmm. uh, from his time there at Alabama. And I'm told that that hire by Steve Sarkeesian uh, did not make uh, Nick Saban very happy. And if there was any thought of, of uh, you know, golding, leaving Alabama to join Texas. The, yeah. Those thoughts went out the window after Jeff Banks got hired. Uh, what did you hear on on your end? Yeah, I mean, Jeff's an excellent position coach and a coordinator. I mean, he does a great job with tight ends. Very good uh, special teams coordinator. I think most times with Nick, if there's value in a guy, it goes back to recruiting as much as anything else. So when you combine what Banks was doing in the state of Texas – um, as a recruiter, I, I could see Nick not being, uh, pleased with, uh, having to replace that guy. And they've gone through a couple of guys, um, since Jeff left actually in those roles. And I think they feel good about Coleman Hutzler now, um, as their outside linebackers coach and special teams coach. Um, and you know, they've, they've made some changes offensively there, uh, at the tight end position that I think they like a lot as well. So, yeah, you know, I think assistants at Alabama, not to say they're they're overvalued, but there are some that certainly are valued more than others, and I think Jeff was probably one of those guys. Well, let's uh we'll we'll wind it down on the uh the dynamic, the familiarity uh between Steve Sarkeesian and and Nick Saban. Um Obviously, Steve knows how Nick likes to operate. He knows Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator, uh, very well. Uh, Nick knows everybody and everything. Um, how do you see that dynamic entering into this game? Yeah, it, it does. It, it runs both ways in terms of familiarity uh, for these staffs. And look, Sark, when it comes to having a script, it can – it can be as good as any in football. We know that. And so uh, that'll be interesting. The first 15 or 20 plays for Texas on the uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, we can talk all about that. But, you know, it, rosters matter, as we know. Um, I think for Texas, it's a tough point to get Alabama in the season, even with Alabama going through some injuries and some changes at some important spots. Um, I, I think that the game next year in Tuscaloosa is a point where the Texas roster will be in a better position for this type of matchup, right? Bryce Young, probably gone. Will Anderson, probably gone. Quinn Ewers, year two, you would think, hopefully for him as a starting quarterback. The problem with next year is you go to Tuscaloosa. Um, so that's, that's where I turn more than anything else. I know that Texas is continuing to add significantly to that roster, uh, on the recruiting front and from a transfer portal perspective. Um, timing's everything, though, when you see a team like Alabama, uh, not just in terms of 
a tenure for a head coach, where they're at in that. Um, but also at what time in the season do you see him? I, I think Texas, uh, I know Texas offensively has already had a couple of significant injuries, but uh, I think roster-wise there is some benefit to getting Alabama early in the season while your roster is still relatively whole and you haven't gone through the grind of the season. It's like Ole Miss. Ole Miss this year gets Alabama in mid-November. I don't like that for Ole Miss. I like Ole Miss's frontline players, but after about seven SEC games, what's Lane's roster going to look like in mid-November? I think it was to Ole Miss's advantage to have Alabama in October or earlier in the season. So, you know, I, I think there's a couple of different ways to look at it. I, again, though, I, I think more ahead to next year. Um, not that Texas can't win this week, uh, but just as far as readiness, uh, it, it, it looks to me like the game in Tuscaloosa next year is when you, you start to think, man, Texas is a lot closer than they are right now. You think uh, this line, I think, has been around 17. Um, you think Texas can cover that line? That's or a you lot. Think yeah. But, you know, I thought 41 and a half last night was a lot. You know, and I know it was Utah State, but that's a team that won the Mountain West last year, returned a veteran quarterback, veteran offensive line, um, you know, defensively not awful, but um, that's a lot. Um, you know, the thing about Alabama is there was a time when, from a spread perspective, they take that fourth quarter and hold the football for 12 minutes, right? They, they, if they had a 14, 17-point lead, they'd go to their four-minute offense, and you, you just wouldn't get an opportunity to score, and they wouldn't score. So it was tough to kind of lay the point sometimes with Alabama. The problem now is if you don't, Alabama will keep scoring, you know, and so – and they have explosiveness even in the run game if they do go that route. I, I think that number for me anyway, just looking at it right now, is probably about right, which means I probably wouldn't mess with it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got to ask you this. I'm still, I don't know how this happened. I don't know how AM beat Alabama with Zach Calzada at quarterback. <laughs> I still have no idea. And I think it's given AM some, not false hope, but some sort of delusional hope uh, that uh, that's not even, that's worse than false, isn't it? Um, hope that they can win the SEC West. Uh, how do you see that game playing out in Tuscaloosa on October 8th? Yeah, I think, you know, it's going to be fascinating because you anticipate Haynes King being available this time. He wasn't a year ago, and you're right. Uh, Zach Calzada had what Alabama fans would probably refer to as his Steven Garcia game, the former South Carolina quarterback who played out of his mind against Alabama in 2010 in Columbia in that upset. So, um, I mean, he's at Auburn now, and I, I think he's number three. Yeah. on the depth chart at Auburn. So give the guy credit, man. Played out of his mind, uh, made big plays down the stretch. Alabama was coming off, I believe, a win over Ole Miss that was so hyped in terms of the anticipation for that matchup with Ole Miss and Tuscaloosa. And Alabama made that look pretty easy. Likewise, A&M was coming off a home loss, I believe, to Mississippi State. So when you start putting together the elements for the ultimate trap game, even though before the season, everybody was talking about Alabama A&M because it was the CBS Saturday night game uh, that week. So there was certainly some anticipation, but A&M hadn't shown any signs of that in the previous weeks. And, you know, I think part of it, Alabama didn't play to its typical standard, had some turnover issues, gave up a long kickoff return uh, for a, a touchdown to Devon A-Chain. So, Really, all three phases, Alabama came up short, but Calzada did. He made plays when he had to. And, um, you know, as for this game, uh, you know, I, I watched a little bit of AM on Saturday. And, um, you know, I, I think there's still going to be questions about the quarterback position. Are you, are you going to take Haynes King over Bryce Young no. in Tuscaloosa? I think that's kind of a deal breaker for a, a lot of folks. Well, game day is coming to Austin this weekend. Of course. Weekend. I mean, Fox. it's basically an SEC game, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah. why wouldn't ESPN be there? Right. I know, you know, Fox, whatever. Uh, right. Fox is on the way out. It's all about ESPN and the SEC. So why not go ahead and get the jump start, Chip? 
Well, how many Alabama fans are coming? What's the level? All of, of them. <laughs> Whether they have a ticket there or not. There are RVs in route right now. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say. Um, a number, I know that on the secondary market, I think tickets are still, get-ins are still in the mid-twos, maybe 250 and up. And I know that's not a, a small yard there. Um, so it's going to be a huge crowd because it is accessible on the drive. It's, it's not a short trip, but you can certainly do it. And so, um, no, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's Alabama fans that are thankful in a lot of ways that they get this opportunity instead of another neutral site, go to it. They'd rather drive to Austin from Birmingham than the shorter trip to, to Atlanta for, yeah. you know, a matchup against Miami or something. So no, I think all of them that can come are coming and, uh, even those that that aren't in the stadium, uh, it, it'll be a huge, huge number uh, in Austin this week, and they, they'll be there early. I mean, you'll see them rolling in Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday for sure. Yeah, just head downtown, uh, <laughs> and you'll see all the the dirty sixth. Yeah. yeah, dirty sixth. There you go. <laughs> the man who's been to Austin, Texas, right there. Yeah, the biggest- oh yeah. I mean, I, I had to go to the Stevie Ray Vaughan Memorial right there Absolutely. on the banks of the Colorado River, and I'll do it again. Absolutely. When I'm there this weekend, I got to pay tribute to the man. I love it. Well, the biggest um, probably presence we've seen from opposing fans, LSU. um, Oh, yeah. The Joe Burrow team that ended up winning the national champion, uh, national championship in Ohio State in 2006. They Mm -hmm. had 10,000. They they rented Texas's basketball arena for a pep rally. Wow. um, Which... Like, I'll be surprised if Alabama has few doesn't have more than ten grand there. If they can get them in, you know yeah. they're they're going to get in as many as they can. And and Alabama fans don't have a problem uh, spending the money on tickets. So that that's some big crowds. But I think Alabama will be right there with them. And LSU, it's almost like Premier League soccer in Britain. It's not that it's not the numbers as much as it's just such a different fan base altogether. Yeah. It, it literally is like when they come to town, it's unlike anything you've ever experienced. It's and so when they, when they go to Tuscaloosa, party. I mean, there's been years in Tuscaloosa with some of those games, you know, there's been 150 to 200,000 people in town um, for an LSU game weekend in a city that, that holds about 80. So uh, it, it's unlike anything else. Well, Travis, what uh, I, I'm putting you on the spot here for a prediction. You don't have to give me a score, but how do you how do you see this game going? Yeah, you know, I think that for Alabama, there's still enough newness in some key spots where, you know, I know they got out to a pretty quick start. That was Utah State um, had a big second quarter to go along with that. So you typically think about games like this as the visiting team having to survive the early storm. And I think it's the other way around this week. I think Texas has to be able to get through that first 15 minutes. Anything, even if it's down, even if we're talking about a seven, nothing Alabama lead, I think that's a positive for Texas. And certainly if Texas is in the lead, all the better. Um, But with this offense and Bryce young, you got to survive that early thrust because it's coming. And so if Texas can do that, I think we're looking at a four-quarter football game. The, the, the thing you worry about with Texas is an early deficit, still a young quarterback. Does he press if Alabama gets out to a 10-0, 14-0 lead, and then you start taking some chances? And can Sark stay patient in that regard? Because – uh, it, it is a touchdown, 10 points, 14 points is not good, but it, with this, with this offense, uh, and then if you become one dimensional, then you just make Will Anderson even more of a problem. So commitment to Bijan Robinson, the run game for as long as you possibly can do it, mix in yours and that passing game and take care of the football, you know, first and foremost, uh, Alabama thrives on the non-offensive touchdowns, um, via defense special teams. So I, I just think, I think for Texas, it has to be clean in that area. And then also obviously turnover margin. You, you can't afford to be minus two or more in that regard. So 
play clean is the the thing for Texas this week and um, survive the early storm. If if Alabama gets off to that kind of start, then I think you know, something in excess of that seventeen points that we talked about is is really likely. If not, I think this is a manageable situation for Texas that you can get into the fourth quarter. Yeah, no, it's great stuff, Travis. Uh, Travis Ryer, BamaOnline.com for all of our uh, 24-7 sports subscribers. That's the place to be this week for all your Crimson Tide information uh, and countdown to kickoff. You know, Flow Ride is coming in. Oh, really? Point. So you Flo know Ride. it's real. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Flow Ride is going to be performing yeah. uh, at the Longhorn City Limit stage right outside of uh, – Daryl K. Royal, Texas Memorial Stadium. I mean, I was, I think I was hoping maybe more for what Gary Clark. Yeah. Um, that would have been nice. But, you know, low rider, you know. Hey, you know. <laughs> hey, but what can you say, Travis? We'll that listen. has, that has celebrity guest picker maybe all over it. Yeah. For ESPN, yeah. maybe. We'll see. Point. I don't That's know. I, I, you know, I, Willie Nelson. Is there any way we yeah. can get Willie yeah. to the celebrity picker? Maybe I would, yeah. I would like that. Yeah, usually they tried out my the redheaded stranger. You know, we had Willie in Tuscaloosa not long ago, and man, just incredible. Yeah, upper eighties now, and just still, still a favorite. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. And I know uh, our folks at BamaOnline.com are going to be plugged into you guys at Horns Two Four Seven. So look forward to it throughout the week, Chip. Hey, great stuff for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com. I'm Chip Brown. Thanks so much for listening to the flagship podcast. Until next time, stay safe and keep the faith. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.